Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So we are in the final, the final teaching of this series of Who is God? Let's go to what we've covered so far. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you know, I know probably not everybody in here has been here every single week, and so we're filling you in a little bit of what you missed, but I've really appreciated this this time just to share with you what I'm learning as I've dug into this. Again, these Bible verses here, Exodus 34, 5 through 7, which Ben just read, are the most repeated themes throughout the whole Old Testament. And so that's why we wanted to camp out and not just dedicate one teaching to this, but to an entire month. And just kind of unpack this, understand what the language is that's being used, and hopefully shed some new light on what what do these words mean to us? How does this help us understand who God is differently? So we talked about when these verses show up in Exodus, that this is right after God has freed the Israelites out of Egypt. He's parted the Red Sea, allowed them to escape, delivered them from Pharaoh, and then finally make it to Mount Sinai, which God promised them. And then Moses is up establishing the covenant, and that is exactly when the people are at the bottom of the mountain breaking the first two commandments of the covenant. And so Moses says, help me understand, show me your glory. And and these verses show up as God proclaiming both his name, the name, his personal name, Yahweh that he gave to Moses at the burning bush before all of these events happened. And then finally, his character. Who is this God? And that's exactly what we've been unpacking. The next week, we unpacked compassionate and gracious. It starts compassionate and gracious. And remember, this is the, like a baby in the womb is compassion, that God knows how we were made. He formed us from the dust, breathed life into us, and knows that we are, we are like children in front of him. <laughs> you know, we, we are only in existence on this earth for so long. And then here is God who has lasted you know, for eternity, past and eternity to come. And God knows all of this wisdom and knowledge, and yet we're here only for a brief period of time. And God understands and is compassionate with us in our failings. And then he is gracious. And it was just mentioned a second ago where we said it's undeserved, undeserved favor, right? Unmerited favor. And that's allowed us to understand God, foundationally, his nature is one of compassion and one of grace. And outflowing from those are the final things we covered last week, that he is, because he's so compassionate and gracious, he is slow to anger. He is abounding in loyal, steadfast love and faithfulness, even when we are unfaithful. And he is able to forgive, and we can be in his presence, even though we are sinful people. And he's made a way for that. So that was what we celebrated last week. We've already read the verses. I'll just highlight what we didn't cover. Last week was, was these three words. So we said, God forgives. He is a forgiving God. But we didn't really talk about what is he forgiving in any detail. So I want to unpack this. This is going to be important because one of these words is going to show up in the final verses that we're covering tonight. So Again, the prior version, the ESV, and most of your Bibles are going to say the Lord, all caps. That's the personal name of God showing up, Yahweh. And so I'm just showing you here because God is using his personal name as he's proclaiming his character. I've substituted Yahweh here. So Yahweh, the Lord, passed before him and proclaimed. 
Yahweh, Yahweh, repeated twice, the compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger, abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands. We saw in Exodus 20, that's a thousand generations. Forgiving three things, iniquity and transgression and sin. So I want to unpack those three for you so we can appreciate what is God actually forgiving. Next slide. These, these little images you're going to see on the right side here, they all come from the Bible Project. It's a series they call Bad Words in the Bible. So sin, transgression, and iniquity are all bad words in the Bible that they unpack and give, give additional meaning. So if I'm kind of, you know, kind of going quickly through this, you can go watch those videos. I, I encourage you to do that. And typically there's about three or four podcasts. If you want kind of a deeper dive into any of these topics, you can find the podcasts that accompany it. But here, sin. Sin is kind of just, just the more broad term. You're going to see this so often in the Bible, and we all understand. We see it. What does it really mean? And so they unpack the, the best way to understand sin is missing the mark, right? We're supposed to be God's imagers. God allowed us the responsibility to be his images on the earth, and yet we miss the mark. We do not image him perfectly. Only Jesus did. So we fail to meet that standard. And these are, as you know, if you've been going through the Galatians study, we understand Paul's talking about the spirit versus the flesh. And these are selfish, fleshly desires that are natural to us as humans that push us to miss the mark. And Paul is encouraging us in the book of Galatians to, to walk in the spirit, in step with the spirit. And so we see sin is rooted in selfish desires. And the Ten Commandments are set forth as a way to love God and love people. And yet, we fail to do that. That's the, the basic point of what God has asked us to do. So we miss the mark. Like, a, like a, you know, an example here would be somebody, like an archer, aiming for a bullseye. If I were doing that, I would just completely miss <laughs> anything, anything I was aiming for. I'm not good at it. But my kids do archery in the backyard. They've not hit anything yet, though. Have you? Hit the fence. All right. That's good. So sin as well. You can listen, you listen to the video to unpack this further, but it's both intentional and unintentional. In Exodus, in the sacrifices that the Israelites are told that they can do to, to take care of the sin that they have, they can do sacrifices both for intentional sin and unintentional sin. And on the Day of Atonement, sin, transgressions, and iniquity are all taken care of in the ritual of the Day of Atonement, as well as unintentional sin. Very important. So God forgives sin. God forgives sin. We're going to take the next step forward into maybe a deeper level of sin or a specific type of sin of missing the mark is transgression. And so this is a very relational type sin. We transgress against God. We transgress against our neighbors and our spouses and our kids. It creates distance in our relationships when we do things that are, you know, you could say in the worst extreme are stabbing our friends in the back, right? Or, oh, Piper, what's up? Piper, that is a perfect example of a transgression. So she said sometimes she hits her brother or bites him, right? That would be a transgression. It creates distance, right? Do they want to be closer to you after that or further away? Usually I just 
Okay, that's, <laughs> that's great. So a betrayal or a breaking of trust, this is transgression. Transgressions are types of sin. Not all sins are transgressions, right? So sin, this broader term about how we miss the mark. Transgressions are things where we're betraying trust, people that trust us. And we can do transgressions not only against other humans, but against God. And God forgives transgressions for the people that love him, the people that he is covenanting with. He says, in order for my presence to be among these broken people that I have compassion on and I've given them my favor, despite that they don't deserve it, I am going to have to, God says, I am willing to forgive their sin and their transgressions. All right, we're going further up the stair step. Iniquity. So I've, I've added some words from the, not just from the vit video on iniquity, but I did my own study and just looked at where is this word showing up in Scripture. And this is, these are all the things. So when you think iniquity, I want you to think almost the worst of the worst, right? You're looking at evil, abomination, people who are filled with wickedness. They're twisted, depraved. They are full of pride, in their wickedness, showing contempt to God and arrogance, repeatedly, persistently, willfully in rebellion, doing heinous crimes, hating God and blaspheming God. Will God even forgive iniquity? And that's exactly what we read. For a thousand generations, God is so compassionate and gracious and desires so much to keep his promises and to be among his people through the wilderness and to take them along the journey to the promised land that he is even willing to forgive this. That's what he says. <laughs> yeah. Of course, for those that love him, those that repent and turn from these sorts of things, this in their past, God will forgive. So let's, uh, next slide, we'll go to, again, so that's, that's the three words. God is willing to forgive inequity, this, this level of corruption and twistedness, our transgressions when we bite our brothers. <laughs> and sin, when we just miss the mark. And we don't image God perfectly. God is willing to forgive these things and shows this kind of loyal love to his people for a thousand generations. So it begs the question, does God not hold people accountable? <laughs> Are there no, is there no repercussions or consequences for sin? Right? And that's where we get to our final verses. We, it says in Exodus 34, 7, this one of those words shows back up, and that's iniquity. God will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So we saw he's slow to anger. When people sin and they transgress, and even when they have iniquity, he is still slow to anger to a, to a degree, especially for those who love him and he's covenanted with. 
But those who hate God, we see in other translations, those that hate God, he will not clear their guilt. This should be a good thing, right? This should be a good thing when people are doing the sorts of things that we laid out that means iniquity. When they're doing those sorts of things, we're talking, yeah, I mean, just picture in your mind what, what that would mean. Of course you would want God to be able to, to not clear the guilt of those who are unrepentant and willfully doing those things in evil. And so, and of course, I think we all know the experience and we experience it, natural consequences to sin, right? When you transgress a relationship, when you bite your brother, Piper, it takes some time to heal. There's a natural consequence that happens. But God is here showing his character of not clearing those who are guilty and who do not repent of that sort of iniquity. So he's going to need to deal appropriately with iniquity. So there's a couple things, just, you know, the verse itself, we read it the first week, and every week since then, and we have not dealt with some of the confusing things in, in this passage. Children's children, you know, what did iniquity mean? We had all these different things we needed to go through. So I want to cover some questions that this raises. First is, is what this saying that children are punished for the iniquity of their fathers, right? So that's one thing, one question that it raised for me, and the answer is no. Ezekiel 18.20, which is referencing Deuteronomy 24, which is even, even earlier, so this is not a change in God's approach. It says, the, the child shall not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them. So if the children are righteous, it will be credited to them. And the fathers, the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. This is very unlike other gods at this time. And so we talked about this comparison of the God and his proclamation of who he is stands out against all the gods that he just delivered them from in Egypt, all the gods in the surrounding nations. This, this God, the one who has created the whole universe over and above any spiritual being that could have, they could have been worshiping at that time and would have been the creator of <laughs> would have been the creator of any, any, anything on earth or in the heavens. So anything that's being worshipped, this God is, is different and he stands out because he is not holding children accountable or asking his people to sacrifice children for the sins of the father. He says the wickedness is going to be charged against the father, not, not the children. So when it says visiting the iniquity, we need to think something different. He's not taking a punishment that's due to the father and also punishing the child and then the children's children. So we need to look at this word a little, a little deeper. Visiting the iniquity is, another way to say it, is to carry their iniquity. So he is making them carry the iniquity. And the best way to understand this, if you look across other scriptures using this term, it's to experience the consequences. So if God is not punishing the children, what is happening is they are still experiencing the consequences of the sins, of iniquity of the fathers. And you could just picture whatever you were thinking earlier of significant, unrepented wickedness in a father 
that is going to have consequences, and it's going to reverberate through the generations. But God is good in that he is, we'll see in a minute, he's putting a limit on that. He's going to make sure that that does not continue. Thankfully, what are the consequences? When you look at iniquity showing up, I showed you all those different words that, are, that coincide this word iniquity. The consequences that God reserves when this happens is a giving over. It's a cutting off of the promise. It's devastation, destruction, and perishing. So God is making sure that those that are guilty of iniquity experience that, that punishment for what they are doing directly. Their wickedness will be punished. And so, yeah, so I would just, I would say what you should have in mind, you know, as we've talked about God promising, let's see here, would, as we've talked about the Israelites journeying through the promised land, and then they eventually get in the promised land, and God is with them, not just in the tabernacle as they journeyed, but also in the temple when they arrive. But eventually, they are exiled, right? And God is given over because Israel turned to other gods and allowed such wickedness to permeate the Israelites and their land that what happens is destruction and perishing. So Assyria and Babylon come in and wipe out. And even, as Jesus predicted, 70 AD, the destruction of the temple, the Romans coming in and wiping out the Israelites and, and having them leave the land. So it's a giving over to this destruction, the consequences of iniquity. It's not a fun thing to talk about. So these are the sorts of things. When we think about visiting iniquity, I want you to think experiencing the consequences, which I think makes sense for us when we think about sin and transgression and what we would, what we would expect would happen for, for such, such heinous crimes. And so the limits, what are the limits of the visiting of iniquity and the limits to God's loyal love, right? And so what we saw is his loyal love, his steadfast love, will last a thousand generations. Which I just think of forever and ever. It's just not going to end, right? Abraham was promised that he, all his descendants, would inherit the promised land. And he has held to that promise because of his loyal love and faithfulness. And Abraham is looking down at all of the people who have been faithful to God. Not all of them, the remnants that have been able to be faithful to God through the generations, and even now through Jesus, we are now part of that line of Abraham, not through blood, but through spirit, if you've been going through Galatians with us. And so we also are in that line, thousands of generations, that God has promised to show his loyal love, and he has stood true to that. But the visiting of iniquity, the consequences of the father's sin, transgressions, Iniquity, specifically iniquity, the visiting of iniquity and consequences would last third or fourth generation. And we're supposed to compare these things, right? They're sitting right alongside each other. We're supposed to compare them. Say, look at how compassionate and gracious God is and how true to his word he is. And yet, even, the, even with the most wicked of, of iniquity, God is going to make sure that that does not last forever because of my great-grandfather's iniquity, I am not stuck in this perpetual consequence of his decisions. 
and the way he operated, right? God graciously is going to make sure there's a limit to that. When God exiled the Israelites out of the promised land, through the prophets, he, he presented them a limit. Eventually, he would bring them back. And he shared promises with them and said, this is what the new covenant is going to look like. This is what the your return to the land is going to be like. He has limited the consequences of iniquity. All right. So that's unpacking the final set. But what I wanted to do is make sure we ended where we started, right? The first month, it was a bit of an introduction to where these verses fall, what's going on in the context. And I told you there's four reasons that I felt would be important for myself and for you to walk through these verses and spend as much time as we did. And that's because when you understand God's character, it should allow you to compare, right? God has told us about his compassion and his grace. We've felt it ourselves personally. And we can compare what we experience from the God of the universe to other things that are calling us to worship. The Israelites coming out of Egypt, experiencing this level of grace and compassion from God, that he could have chosen a new people when they broke the first two commandments. He could have said, and he did say, these people will be unfaithful for me, to, to me. They will not be able to be faithful to the covenant. And yet I'm willing to forgive them. And that is not, that is not the same as other things that could be worshipped. I mean, the golden calf that they created couldn't even do anything for them. And so God is unchanging. We saw this because those verses just get repeated throughout the Old Testament. And so God is the same today, just like we sang as he was before, and he's incomparable. The other thing is prediction, right? We've seen God stay true and loyal to his promises. He promised Abraham through his descendants, he would find a way to bless the nations. And through Jesus, he has finally invited all of us back in. He told Abraham he would bless his descendants and take them to the promised land. And that's exactly what he did. And they forfeited it a couple times. But that's what he did. He is faithful to his promises. From Abraham to the Israelites to Jesus and all of the nations. And so we can predict, as we saw last week, that God is going to be faithful to the promises he's already made to us that have not come about yet. The new Jerusalem, the new promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. These are not things that we just put our hope in that are empty. God has been faithful to his promises, and he will be faithful again. And then, very importantly, reflection, right? We said we're imagers of God. The most perfect image of God was Jesus. And so, as we attempt poorly to, to reflect God, reflect Jesus into the world, we're going to do that imperfectly, but that's what knowing his character is. It allows us to know and fine-tune how do we not miss the mark? How do we make sure that we are moving in a direction of being sanctified and looking more and more and imaging God to the world? And we said last week, it's not about being more slow to angry. It's not about trying to figure out how do I forgive people better? Those are good things. But if you really want to be slow to anger, 
You want to be more loyal and faithful. You want to be abounding in steadfast love. You want to forgive people, even forgive iniquity, as God does, which I don't expect any of us would be able to without the grace of God to do. We have to start with compassion and grace. We cannot manufacture being more forgiving. We cannot manufacture being more loyal. We have to become and see through God's eyes, how do we become more compassionate? How do we see people like dirt creatures or like on the Bible project, you'll hear the, we're all just dirt bags, right? We're just made of dirt. God breathes life into us. And so when I fail to meet the goal of treating my wife well or vice versa, how do we forgive each other? It's having compassion on one another. How do we stay together? It's by saying, you don't deserve my favor. I don't deserve your favor, but I'm going to give it to you anyway out of the strength of the Spirit in me. And it's only by the Spirit that us as humans, fallible, fallible, fallible humans, that we can do that. So it's compassion and grace, and all of those things are overflows of compassion and grace. And then finally, empowerment. We saw that Moses, and this is, this is my ask of you and me, that Moses, he went, he went up the mountain and he stood before God and God had been with him. God had used Moses to deliver the Israelites, to stand up to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go and used him to do miracles freed them from the most powerful nation at that time, giving his personal name to Moses at the burning bush. And yet, after all of that, Moses still stands before God and says, I want to know you more. I want you to show me your way. He says, I want you to show me your glory. And that happens immediately before God shares. He proclaims his name and he shares who he is. He shares his glory. So we need to seek his glory. We need to rest in his name. All right, so this series was, Who is God? I hope you have this better understanding of who God is. I know I do. <laughs> there were a lot of things that surprised me as I went through this, and I realized I just did not appreciate the character of God at the depth that I needed to with how important, again, those verses are the bedrock, the anchor that the Israelites came back to and said, has God forgotten us? Is God with us? And they went back to these verses and said, no, this is who God is and knew that. So Yahweh, Yahweh in the verses we read, he's proclaiming his name. And then we also proclaim his name and also his death. And so let's look at that. Joel chapter two, Joel's one of the prophets and he's talking about what the new the new covenant is going to be like. It says the Spirit is going to pour out on men and women. People are going to be prophesying. People are going to be doing miracles in the name of the Lord. And Joel says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that's Yahweh, will be saved. And calls on, that's the same word as proclaim. So everyone who proclaims Yahweh will be saved. And that's exactly what we saw God doing at the start of these verses in Exodus. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter in Acts, 
right after Pentecost occurs and the Holy Spirit pours out on his people, just as Joel prophesied. We see Peter quotes Joel and says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, skipping down a little bit, Therefore let all Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He puts Jesus in the Yahweh spot, right? In the whole New Testament, you're not going to see the personal name of God show up. It's not there. There's a couple reasons for that. But one of those is because Jesus is on the scene. The, the name is there. And Peter says to the people, these people are not crazy. The Holy Spirit is pouring out and they are proclaiming the name of the Lord. And that Lord is Jesus. And he finishes up in Acts two chapters later saying, and there's no sal- salvation. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so here we have Jesus is God. Jesus is this same God that revealed himself to Moses, covenanted with the Israelites, and is the one opening up a way to the new covenant. Right here at Pentecost, just as the prophet said. So we proclaim the name of the Lord. We call upon his name. And we also proclaim his death. And this is as we lead into a time of communion. So we're proclaiming his name. We're proclaiming his death also. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's, that's what I want us to do now. As we take communion, I'm going to pray for us. Shannon will come up and play. I want us to be the people like Moses Right, that says, God, I know you face to face. I know your name. You are in me, but I want to see your glory. I want to know you more. I want you to show me your way. And we should be the people proclaiming his name, the name of the Lord as our Savior. And that's what we do also, proclaiming his death and resurrection as we take communion. So let me pray for that. And then the communion tables, as soon as I'm done praying, y'all can either get up immediately or y'all could take your time and go enjoy. There's one in the back as well. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for your love, your loyal love, your ability to be slow to anger, your ability to forgive even iniquity, God, for those that love you and turn to you, flee from the wickedness and the evil that is in the human heart. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would just give us your spirit, that you would make us people of compassion, that we would know intimately how others are made, and not just have compassion on ourselves, Lord, though we may need that. We need compassion on others, to see others the way that you see them, God, and that we need to be gracious. We need to show undeserved favor and pour that out on others through your spirit, God. Change our hearts to be able to do that, and an overflow of our ability to do that, Lord. Give us the the freedom in Christ to proclaim his name until he comes to proclaim his life and also to proclaim his death as we do here in communion, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus and giving us much to call upon, much to claim. 
And God, we thank you for this time and this, this moment to just meet with you and to know that you are a good, good father with us. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com.